hope you can hear me. <laughs> uh, it's nice to be negative, <laughs> COVID negative. Uh, for a while, I was uh, walking around with Darth Vader's voice. But uh, in case my voice not become Mickey Mouse, you will understand. <laughs> I thought it important that um, this Sabbath, as we are celebrating the Lord's Supper and ordinance of humility and the emblems of communion, I thought it good to uh, revisit what does it mean? A yearning and a search for communion, all right? So, as I was uh, preparing for this sermon, I came across this very nice picture. I don't know who took it, but this graphic illustration of a um, ladder that climbs up upwards, and just that alone, it's like infinity. And yet, at the same time, that ladder also represents the fact that you can go up, you can come down. So to me, I thought it was a very apt um, representation of communion. Coming together and meeting together. And while I was preparing this, uh, it was in the midst of uh, just you know, handling all the uh, COVID uh, symptoms and all that. I thought it, and it was just timely that I you know, would want to make reference to an early Christian bishop by the name of Augustine of Hippo. <clears throat> and he mentions this. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Augustine talks about this yearning that is inbuilt, is defaulted in all humans, that truly, truly, we will not find rest until our heart rests in God who created us. Now, this will not be a popular thought for most of the world who reject God, who perhaps don't see you know, that this is important at all. But nonetheless, undeniable. Can't deny it. That you will never, never find rest until it is in alignment with God who created us, who saved us, who redeemed us. And in this sermon, I will put forth who redeemed us for communion. Alright? Now, there's this whole big thing going on about isolation. And we felt it very, very strongly because of the pandemic, right? Lockdown, can't go anywhere, quarantine and all that. And I was told by the doctor who attended to me and said, no, you have to be isolated at home. I said, okay, you can. But in your room, no. Cannot come out. I'm like, are you sure? We, we don't take to isolation very well, do we? When you were really isolated, do you actually carry isolation? I checked in with some of my friends. Some of them really do. Uh, well, the house is, uh, you know, structured in a way that it was possible for them. 
And one of my colleagues even had her family members give a code and knock on the door and message her, here's your food outside. And then she'll go out and get her food. And after when she go out on the food, she will hear them doing what? Spraying sanitizer, you know? So she was like, oh, so many germs, whatever. So she didn't quite like it, but I said, no, no, you must tahan, you must, you must endure it all the way through. So isolation, something that we don't take too nicely to. Agreed? In fact, the whole human society even uses isolation as a form of punishment or control, social control, right? If you think about criminals, right, being punished by incarceration or imprisonment, it's, it's a form of isolation. And the extreme one, short of capital punishment, the extreme one is solitary, where you are just placed in a cell by yourself with your thoughts as though it's a form of like kind of enforced reflection. You're cut away, cut off from all kinds of contacts. And it just doesn't sink in well with humans. In fact, um, just last week, there's a study uh, being produced out of Cambridge. An interesting concept, social scientists came out with the idea of a social brain. A social brain hypothesis. And that they believe the, the human brain, or for us as humans, we have evolved to the point where we need interaction. And so here, okay, I mean, if you buy into this, something to look out for, because the link here is to Alzheimer's. Meaning that when people start to isolate themselves socially from others, the link has been found to them being at risk of Alzheimer's disease. Social brain. So it seems that we are created, we are wired to mix. So, well, Alzheimer's, dementia, when you start withdrawing, no interaction and all that, it just doesn't sit in well. This is social brain. And I remember um, in the organization that I had the privilege of heading out, social service, um, within the last two and a half years, during the pandemic particularly, we had to attend to a lot of mental wellness issues and needs, so much so that our organization has expanded easily by 35%. And so when Sometime in April, uh, we, we normally will have our monthly meetings, but together with my leadership team, we thought, let's go for in-person meeting. But it was not possible then to have all of us come back to the office, which before the pandemic it would have been possible, but with all the safe management measures and safe distancing, it's impossible. So we actually rented uh, a room for a few hours and together. That was, I remember the date was 1st of April. We took that chance in one of the uh, office buildings in town. 
And my admin team was very, you know, we had to sanitize and all of that. And they were reminding us, keep a distance, keep a distance, one meter, one meter. So I was joking with them. I said, do you have a ruler? Do you have a ruler? Measure, measure. It was so difficult to get all the staff who have not seen each other for two and a half years from just very obligingly, compliantly sit down in one corner. No way. Good thing we had the whole room to ourselves, so we made sure we locked the room. It was mayhem. Because there were hugs and there were tears and we have not seen each other for, you know. And some of them were hired during the, the pandemic. We don't even know who they are. Oh, that's how you look like. Oh, oh, you have a moustache. I didn't know. Oh, <laughs> With masks and all that. So, it was impossible to separate people once they come together. Why? It's just that part of us. I would then like to uh, maybe put forth another idea while we contemplate communion, and that is the spiritual brain. While social scientists may laud a lot about, hey, we have a social brain that needs that kind of uh, interaction, I want to put forth to you the spiritual brain or the spiritual heart that we are wired for communion with God. In fact, if you look at communion, and this is just downloaded from uh, Google of uh, um, Oxford Dictionary, yeah? Communion, two meanings. The first one states as the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially on a mental or a spiritual level. So on a secular perspective, it is already accepted when we talk about communion, it's on a very deep level. Very deep. And the second meaning, of course, is associated with the practice or the ordinance that we are in a short while going to be using or doing. Communion. Think about it. As Augustine, Bishop Augustine mentioned, our heart will not rest until it truly rests with God and in God. So let's go back to the beginning. This is a portion where I hope to plot out for you from the beginning to the end a God who is yearning for communion with us. So think about the metaphor of the ladder. It's not us climbing up. It's actually like God coming down to us. Where do we see this? Let me bring you back to Genesis. Back to the beginning. Back to chapter 1. Right? One of the two creation accounts. The first of it says this. God says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Do you see the plural there? It's not singular. God refers to himself in the plural form. We understand it, Trinity. Though the concept is not, I mean, that name itself is not mentioned, but we know God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. In community. Seeing that community, then God makes that declaration 
creation of humankind in God's image, in God's likeness. And therefore, if we extrapolate backwards, if we ourselves feel the longing, as social scientists tell us, for interaction, for communion, hey, that's a reflection of how we are created in the image of God. And of course, we won't cover in this sermon, but we know the basis of it is agape love. The love that exists in the community. But it's a reflection of that. That yearning for coming together. Right? And so, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? Today, we're not talking about gender or, or sex but we're just talking about the whole human race that we are created in the image of God. Right? So, that's the declaration we find in Genesis, back in the beginning. However, right, see if I can go back a little bit. No, I can't. Okay. The community and the embedded communion is broken. Very, very fast, we find that in just the third chapter, second account of creation from another angle. And that is a sad angle because it comes on the angle of a broken community, a broken communion. We find in chapter 3, and they, meaning the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There is hiding away. There is one party walking to seek communion. And yet, there were others who heard and ran away from it hiding, an attempt to hide. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Now, if, if you look at this carefully, you realize, hmm, God is omniscient. He knows all. Does, it need, does he need to ask that question? Is that question asked from the context of ignorance? I, I don't know where they are. No, it's not that. It's not a question being asked to search for an answer about exactly where they are in terms of knowledge. This question will be what we call an existential one. What is existential? Where are you? Where are you in context of your relationship with God? Of course, God knew where they were, hiding in an attempt to... They realized their eyes were open, that they were naked. Before that, they were clothed in light. Of course, God knew all that. God knew exactly where they are. He asked them so that they would evoke a response, a reflective response, and it was one of fear. We heard your voice, and we were afraid. In the beauty of perfect creation in the Garden of Eden, 
there was fear. Sin had come in, and the community, the communion was broken. And so in God, in asking this, where are you? The where are you will be the same question we put forth to all of us. Where are you? Yes, think about it. From the mouth of little babes, speak the truth, right? Painful one. Where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you? And in that context, we see God makes a proclamation. We see a problem and we see the solution, right? And the proclamation was this. God declares to the enemy very clearly, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You'll be hurt, yes, your heel will be hurt, but bruising or crushing in some other uh, translations, crushing, that means totally destroyed. That is the proclamation, the promise and God's solution. And then we then look throughout the centuries. Prophet Isaiah making reference to this proclamation. And he says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's the first time we are introduced to this name, Emmanuel. Right? So the Savior actually has a title, a name. That is coming. And what is Emmanuel? Right? So actually from, from the Hebrew is with us, God. Emmanuel, L referring to God. Emmanuel, God with us. So you think about it. The proclamation was made. The community and the communion was broken back then in the Garden of Eden. Men and women were driven out, but that promise still lingered. The promise still held that God would send a saviour to establish God being with us. Think about it. In fact, Matthew then makes reference to it. Matthew refers to this coming, the first coming. Matthew says, She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then quoting Isaiah, So this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the same verse, virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So putting both descriptions side by side, right? Earlier one, you should call his name Jesus. In Hebrew, is Yehoshua or Joshua. God was saved. Combining it with God with us, then Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus means God with us. And he came. Now, sad thing, but this summer we won't cover it, but do you know what happened when he came, right? The world didn't receive him. He didn't recognize that for that blessed moment when he walked on earth, 
for that 33 plus years, the extent, the reality is that God was with humankind. But the religious leaders rejected him. They said no, they did understand what he was up to. That was the sad irony of it. Jesus, as Emmanuel, God with us, was walking with them in communion in that sense. And so we fast forward to that fateful night, the night before he died, which we see it all as the Last Supper, the Passover. The context of the Passover Jesus chose that time because it is full of meaning. Full of meaning if we look at the account of how Israelites came out of bondage of sin, passing over, right? The angel of the Lord will pass over those who believe and put forth the blood of the Lamb. And in this case, in that moment, the Passover Lamb, who is the life Lamb, Jesus then make this mention. Of course, at that time, they didn't get it. This was a message that was supposed to be sent in order to book an upper room. Right? Not easy to get an upper room that was away from the others, big enough to house 30 people right? in that intimate setting. And he makes a declaration. My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. This was to the house owner. This was a message told to them and to prepare. So the Passover lamb was going to eat and sup with his disciples who were clueless. <laughs> right? So we are looking back at that moment. And that's when we come to our communion passage. The context of it. The eyes of the Disciples were unfortunately about who is the one because they had their feet not washed, right? No one wanted to wash the other person's feet. No way. And Jesus did it. Can you imagine that context? It was totally clueless, totally mind-focused on something else altogether. And yet you have Jesus whose heart was breaking for communion just acting up that very lesson for us, which in a short while we are going to commemorate. So I want us to get that context right. So while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, He blessed it, He broke it. It's like a symbol of what He will go through physically. Broken torn apart. And he said, take it. This is my body. Sup with me. And a lot of people don't, I mean, they, they confuse this text and saying, well, this is like uh, instituting the practice of cannibalism. Not totally wrong. Because totally don't, don't get it. And the disciples, of course, at that moment, they didn't understand. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, right. And then moving on to the cup, because he represented something else different. He took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. 
something they didn't get it at all. Jesus' blood will be shed. Like the Passover lamb needs to be killed so that you can take away the sins of the world. And Jesus then makes this proclamation. He says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So there's a remembrance portion, but there's also a great anticipation portion. When Jesus says, I will drink it again with you. But only anew. In the new kingdom. When is this new kingdom? And therefore, he then presented, there is a time that is coming, not yet, is coming when he will drink it anew. So what is the new? Right, so a quick reference to this. If you flip through your Bible, you realize the new is there. It's mentioned there. It's in Revelation, right? 21. I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. And we, we, we take it as there's no more separation. The new kingdom that's coming, there'll be no more separation. In fact, the whole of, uh, of two and, uh, verses 2 and 3 of 21 of Revelation, then John des describes this, right? The holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Very familiar languaging, right? Doesn't it remind us of Emmanuel? God with us, that yearning that God from the beginning wanted will now be realized in this new. And that new says God himself will be with them and be their God. Emmanuel realized once more. Emmanuel. And so, when we practice communion every quarter, it's coming to the table is being reminded, firstly, of the sacrifice that Jesus did for all of us, and yet at the same time be reminded of the great promise of His coming. Because when God is with us, there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, there should be no more pain for the former things have passed away. This is the original plan. It was interrupted. Still is being interrupted. And now we live in the cusp of that coming. And so the emblems that we partake of today is reminding us it is soon coming. And if you look around, why this reminder is so needed? If you look around, Never have we seen the world so polarized. Never have we seen the world so swept by this pandemic and the vote. You know, it, it's just so uncertain. Never have we seen this. And it just tells us something. The coming is nearer than today, right? Than it was yesterday. 
or even in our forefathers' time. We are that generation. And hold on to that reminder. The new is coming, where communion will be restored. But for now, we practice in the emblem. We are reminded. We are reminded. That question again. Once more. Where are you? I will encourage you later as we partake of the bread broken for us. The wine representing the blood shed for the remission of sins, for the new covenant. Hear God's voice calling us to our hearts, each one of our hearts. Where are you? Where are you now in relation with God's relationship? Where are you now in your journey? Where are you now? It doesn't matter what we are going through. It's the promise of the soon coming. It's the promise that we'll be delivered for sure. And so, in a short while, when we go into the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, in your hearts, answer that question. Where are you? May God bless you all. Thank you, Dr. Jotan, for the sermon. Before we get into the communion proper, we will uh, break out now for the feet washing. Uh, just like to inform where you should go. Yeah? So for the ladies, the feet washing will be at the cafeteria. You just go out of this door to the right. And then the men will be at the behind, right? You can exit from the rear doors of the auditorium on the left-hand side and the couples will be on the right-hand side, right? And after the feet washing ceremony, you can return back to the auditorium where we will have our communion service. We can now separate for the feet washing.
Welcome back to um, this very, very holy and sacred time of uh, remembrance and commemorating the Lord's Supper. So we shall begin now with removal of the emblems in preparation for the serving. Before we uh, serve the bread and the wine, I'd like to invite the congregation to kneel as we pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your beloved children, having received you into our hearts and lives and having accepted your death as penalty for our sinfulness. The price you have paid covers us for all times and may our desire be to live for you. As we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who will receive you. You died for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love and unmerited favour. Thank you for your death that gives us life, abundant life. As we take this cup representing your blood, poured out onto the cross, we realize that you were the su supreme sacrifice for all our sins, past, present, and future. Because of your blood shed for us and your body broken for us, we can be free from the power and penalty of sin. Thank you for your victory over death, and you took death that we deserve. You took our punishment. And as we take part in this communion, we ask you to truly search our hearts and reveal hidden things for which to ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we want to recommit our life, our heart, and our thoughts and everything to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated.
shall begin with the emblem of the bread. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins I tell you I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom let us partake of this emblem It's a tradition in Aztec that uh, after the communion, we will take this time now to collect a love offering. So we invite the ushers to pass around the bag so that we can collect this offering.
Thank you. Shall we all now rise for the closing song? receive the benediction as you depart from this place may the Lord bless you may the Lord keep you may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you may the Lord lift his countenance and grant you peace now and forevermore Amen